Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 Okay, this is your forecast for June 9th, Friday, and June 10th, Saturday. It looks like we have some thunderstorm activity coming in for Friday with the the potential for small hail, frequent lightning, and sudden wind gusts. Um, Showers and storms will wind down with the loss of daytime heating Friday night, except for the higher summit areas. Low temps will fall below freezing, and a wintry mix will again result in icy trail conditions uh, for at least overnight and then into the first half of Saturday. So make sure that you bring your spikes because you never know. The trails could be slick and icy, and uh, you may require them. All right. So the low is looking like uh, it'll finally break down Saturday afternoon, and uh, temperatures will slowly improve over the entire forecast period so be safe out there be prepared and have fun so friday in the clouds with a wintry mix transitioning to rain chance of afternoon thunderstorms little to no additional snow accumulations high in the upper 30s winds west shifting south midday then back to west later at 5 to 20 miles an hour becoming light and variable at times with a wind chill rising to 20 to 30 above Friday night in the clouds with rain showers likely early, then a slight chance of a wintry mix after midnight. Little to no additional snow accumulations. With a low in the 30s, winds shifting northwest at 5 to 20 miles per hour, increasing to 15 to 30 miles an hour, with a wind chill 15 to 25 above. And Saturday in the clouds with rain showers likely, chance of afternoon thunderstorms. So a high in the upper 30s, winds northwest at 20 to 35 miles per hour, with a wind chill 25 to 30 above. all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
stomp. So episode 109, we've got um, a whole clown car over there that you're dealing with, right? Yeah, this is um, this is like toxic masculinity. This is as much of it as I've ever experienced in one room. So, but it's all, right. all good. Uh, Stomp, I actually had a question for you before we get started. Do you yeah. have, and I feel like I know this, but you, you have a bunch of tattoos, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a few, but none well, quite like the good. one that you're about to talk about. <laughs> all right. So I am, uh, every once in a while, like I'll see a horrendous tattoo, like a mountain themed tattoo. And I saw this come through like one of the Appalachian Trail groups and I mean I'm sure that the person's a very nice person and and is happy with the tattoo and I think that's great but Dave is that yours? I'm gonna I'm gonna for the record I I don't know if I can post this because I don't want the person to find out but it's basically like this person had another tattoo and they covered it up with this tattoo of a beer that has mountains growing off of its back and it says like the mountains are calling and I must go and I hope this person isn't a listener I don't think they are but I just wanted to start the show off to show that stomp because I thought that was yeah it always looks like a face or something it's a beer and then yeah, it's a beer with the Appalachian Trail marker on it, and then mountains are, f- and then there's a bird flying in the background, I think, so. Yeah. Mike, Mike, where'd you find that? It was on some social media site, uh, and immediately I was like, oh, man, I, I want to like it, but I and I don't want to be mean, but I just had to pull that because I thought Stomp would get a kick out of it. <laughs> it, it wouldn't have looked bad if they'd gone with a moose, but the bear just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so right. that's maybe it, maybe I'll post it up on the Facebook page, but I just I'm afraid that it may get back to the person and they may feel sad. But we'll see. <laughs> do you are any of the tattoos you have stomp or do you, do you regret them or are they all like excellent in your view? I, I, I enjoy them. Yeah, I don't regret any of them, really. Um, they all have a story, which I think that's probably the best way to go about getting tattoos. If you're going to get any, I mean, just to get some random thing that doesn't mean anything to you or have a backstory. I think that's uh, destined for a, uh, a laser treatment to get rid of at some point <laughs> yeah. in the future. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I have a tattoo that I have. I have tattoo regret. So I have like a uh, Irish flag on my calf with like a little shamrock that I got when I was like 18. You know, it's like, okay, I've had a few bears. I'm going to go up to Hampton Beach. Because back then you could only get tattoos up at Hampton Beach and a few other places in New Hampshire. So yeah. um, I did the rite of passage and got the the Irish pride thing. And I no longer have Irish pride. So um, at some point I'm going to take a look at my health savings account and get a little laser treatment on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know people that went through that process. It's pretty nasty. It does not happen fast. It's a very long process to get that ink out of your skin. Uh, we do mm. not want to go through that. I've got mm. gum surgery I have to get and then maybe I'll do the, the tattoo stuff. So I'll keep you updated. Hmm. All right, Stomp, enough about nonsense tattoos. We've got breaking news and this is huge. We need to know the Stomp's Mrs. You probably should have, I probably should have told you to have Mrs. Stomp come down, but Mrs. Stomp has a new kitten. Everybody, like I think out of everything that we've ever posted on the Instagram account, I've <laughs> never seen traffic. I mean, this thing blew up. This yeah. little cat, it's an orange blob of fur. It's cute. Oh, God, it's Tell so us everything cute. about it. Yeah, well, uh, we went down to the Sunapee region uh, this last weekend to pick up the cat. And uh, by the way, Sunapee region is really beautiful. You guys hike down there, I'm sure, sometimes yep. or another. Man, I was impressed. Really rugged. Lake Sunapee itself was awesome. Um, we have a name. We picked the name. But first, I think we have to talk about 
some gender dysphoria, maybe, if that's the proper word. So here's the stories. We thought we were getting a female tabby, a ginger, and um, ends up about a week, a week and a half ago, we got a text from the woman who had the, the litter, and she said that the testicles had dropped. So she thought that it was a female cat, uh, it was actually a male cat. So that really threw a, a wrench in the works. And uh, we weren't really sure if we were going to do it. And we hemmed and hawed about, you know, whether the male cat would be great with these two female uh, tuxedos. Long story short, we decided to go for it because we felt bad for the little guy. So we uh, picked the cat up and, um, you know, obviously we can't name this this male cat Tina. <laughs> <laughs> you can. <laughs> okay, so... Tina was out. I guess we could. Yeah, sure. But uh, so we're driving home and for several days we were trying to think of names. And by the time we were getting back to the house, I mean, at that point we're looking at, you know, fire hydrants going by and like, hey, how about we call them fire hydrant? It was just getting (laughs) pathetic, getting awful. And then I realized, hey, how about forest? So... That sort of stuck, but then after a while of thinking, we realized everybody would think, oh, great, Forrest Gump. Yeah. That's so lame. <laughs> like, why, who'd name their cat Forrest Gump? So Mrs. Stomp did some digging. She's the linguist in the family, apparently, and found out that Forrest has a connection to the ancient Greek and xylophone. So hmm. we looked up the word xylo, which is X-Y-L-O, which essentially means uh, wood, but there's also a connection to forest. So if you take xylo and then separate it from phone, phone is audio. Ultimately, the, the name of the cat means forest sounds. And it was just like, that's it. Xylo. Yeah, it's a very interesting name, but that's, it had meaning for us. So forest cool. sounds, xylo. And it fits them. Yeah. I like it. I like Thanks. It. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Welcome Zylo, and then the other cats. Is is the so is the fear that like do you are the other cats spayed or whatever it is? Oh or? yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We'll have to take care of this cat. Um, I think within six months or so. I think okay. at six months is the time to do that uh, shots and all that stuff. But Daphne has been an absolute darling. She's uh, taken the cat uh, as her own, and you know, just today I got home and the, you know Daphne was licking and cleaning and you know preening the kitten and uh luna's very standoffish but something must have happened to luna when she was little because she's never accepted any cat period Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. but daphne is just like just breaking my heart it's so beautiful like oh so sweet we were hoping that would be the case and it is so well congratulations i know that the the new parents are busy there with their their cats and i'm glad that daphne i'm afraid daphne's going to form an alliance and and make luna's life miserable but we'll see (laughs) It's possible. It's it possible. Is, it is. All right. So welcome to episode 109 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Tonight we are joined once again by humorist, author, and self-proclaimed worst hiker in New Hampshire, Ken Bossy. So welcome, Ken. Thanks for having us yeah, back. No problem. And he's got his crew with him. So uh, Ken was last with us on episode 36. Wow, that's a Can long time ago. That? that was a long time ago. No kidding. Yeah, November 2021 along uh, with his friend Ian. So Ian's back um, and they're going to be talking about his first book he was originally talking they came originally to talk about his first book they said it would be fun a hilarious journey learning to hike the new hampshire 48 which was published in november 29th of 
2001. His second book, They Said They Wanted More, A Hilarious Journey Hiking the New Hampshire 52 with a View, was published a year later. Now, tonight, Ken joins us for a second time to talk about his latest book, They Said Teach Us More, Solo, Winter Hiking, and Overnighters. So he's got a trifecta of books to talk about here. So graciously, the profits from all of Ken's books are donated to the New Hampshire Search and Rescue. So tonight, Ken is joined uh, by trailmates Ian and Dave, who will share their tales of adventure and elder abuse. Um, so Ken's last visit had us all in stitches and we can't wait to catch up with him and his goon squad. So we are live in house at the Woodpecker studio. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. <clears throat> Let's get started. Jeez, that was a tongue twister. Yeah. So three Mike, books, can I, Ken. Can I clear the year a little bit? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so much like Stomp just adopted a little kitty. Uh, yeah. Ian and I adopted a fellow hiker years ago and that's Ken. So it's really, I don't know if we're part of his gang or perhaps he's part of our gang. So that's how it worked out. So, Dave, are you you're younger than Ken, right? You call, are you closer to Ian's age? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I All split right, the so. difference. Got it. Got it. So, <laughs> nice. Close enough. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, Ken, I think that it's good for you to be around these young people. Yeah, it keeps me juvenated. <laughs> or juvenile, yeah. Juvenile. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So uh, more with this crew in a minute, but Stomp, first we wanted to get a review. So you were working uh, the, the music and entertainment on the White Mountain Endurance race on Mount Shakura. So can you give us a Connect. summary? How did that event go? Yeah, well, you know, we were all stuck in this rain cycle at the moment. So it was a bit rainy, misty that morning. I got there around seven, set up and... Um, there's a couple hundred runners that uh, were running. I mean, the, the the track took the runners up to the summit of Chikora, more or less, and then back down. Mm. Um, you know, the winner came in at two hours, 21 minutes, and uh, that's really impressive. It, it was a slick course because of the wet granite and whatnot. But um, uh, by the way, Larson showed up with his uh, family, uh, Sarita and their children, got to see the new baby. And Travis, if, I don't know if you remember Travis, but Travis yeah. um, and Larson scored the fir- uh, fastest known time for the Skyline Loop in Waterville. So Travis came in second place, which yeah, is phenomenal. Yeah, it was really neat. But um, long story short, I played a ton of music and uh, listeners were coming over. I just want to shout out um, hi to Chris Paquette. I guess it, it was his first race, and now he's hooked. James Phoenix stopped by. Uh, Alex Folsom brought me a nice Nebula 586 brew, which was just absolutely phenomenal. It's always nice having a brew when you're stuck spinning tunes for seven hours. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, Addie and Scott, thanks for coming by, and uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I guess they were listening to the, some of the EDM mixes that we put up there. And uh, of course, Marilyn Styles. Uh, she crushed her personal record by 15 minutes, so it was a good day. And uh, apparently there was a, towards the end of the day, there was a fire on the Hammond Trail, so uh, things got a little bit tense. From the night before... A lightning bolt hit a log. There was a fire, apparently, this is this is rumor from what I heard. There was a fire brewing inside a log, a hollowed out log, and the rain had suppressed it overnight. So it didn't erupt until that afternoon, like three o'clock, and runners were still coming in. Had, had that rain probably not happened, they might not have had a race, believe it or not. So pretty wild. Well, so. Stomp, can I ask a question about the music? Sure. Did you play any cool in the gang or was it all your EDM stuff? <laughs> I play everything from, I did not play cool in the gang actually, but uh, mostly EDM, a lot of country, a lot of pop, 
folk, rock, spanning the decades. I mean, I play a little bit of everything, so it's okay. a really nice mix for everybody. But okay. that 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 race is more of a party type of vibe, so you tend to keep it upbeat. Yeah. Did you? Uh, did they have like food trucks and ice cream and stuff there? Yep. Yeah, ice cream. They had a crepe truck and uh, some guy. Oh, uh, Ledge Brewery, I believe it was Ledge Brewery. They came okay. by and uh, were giving out beer. So it was a really nice time. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. it's it's such a great great event. Next yeah, one up is the Cog. Yeah, yeah. I got to get back to that one next year in Chicora. So I think maybe I'm going to skip Mount Washington, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, so speaking of wildfire stomp, uh, the yeah. Canadian wildfires continue to rage. You said that um, Stosh mentioned that he's seen some heavy stuff in the Adirondacks in New York. So right. what's what's the vibe up sense. in New Hampshire right now with that? People are, people are asking on social media about whether they're going to choke to death when they're hiking this weekend. <laughs> Um, I think the forecast is improving for this weekend. Uh, I think the rains helped a lot, but I think midweek when I was running up locally here, it was that orangey hue and it was sort of, sort of oppressive running in it. But um, I think we're in a cycle where it's, it's not going to be bad for the next few days from the the research I did earlier, which is good. And I don't want to discount people's concerns about the air quality or anything, but there are a lot of people that did not grow up with grandparents who live in a mobile home and smoke two packs of cigarettes and, (laughs) um, you know, for 10 years. So I think that we'll survive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the attack of the clouds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, I I had to laugh because I'm just like, I was thinking back to my younger days and I was like, I was just around cigarette smoke constantly when I was little and nobody seemed to care, but... Yeah. Anyway. Interesting stuff. I mean, the origin of this is a whole other debate, but uh, we don't want to dive into that now. That would take all night. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly makes for good sunrise photos. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is good. Um, all right, Stomp. And now you put another, you put a thing, an article in here about a new long trail idea, the 14,000 mile American perimeter trail, which I yeah, feel like this is a this? thing already. I know. I, this sounds like it's right up your alley, Ken. Yeah. It's the perimeter um, of America, 14,000 plus miles. And uh, some fellas planning on tackling it soon. This is an NBC News story. And um, I'm not sure when they're starting, but good luck. That's going to be a hell of a trip. Yeah. I mean, actually, back in the 70s, I already did it, but um, <laughs> you can go for it again if you want to. <laughs> that, that's trip, your next book, right? <laughs> You know what that sounds like is uh, Cheswick to me. It does like sound like a Cheswick type of yeah. adventure. I think he's trying to get one up on him. Yeah. Well, and you know what will happen after that? Cheswick will come back and do it twice or do it backwards or add Canada to it or Mexico, <laughs> you know. Correct. Correct. Wild. So, all right, Stomp. So for this next one here, um, you know, I do tend to take a lot of credit for your work in, in various situations. So I thought that this was an interesting story. So there's a Sherpa... We talked about sort of the situation with Sherpas in, in, on Mount Everest. We got a guest coming up in a couple of weeks. I think that'll be able to shed even more light on that really experience, um, high mount, how my, how high mountaineer. But, um, this story came out. It's a Sherpa that saved a Malaysian climber's life on Mount Everest. Apparently, based on the story, this, this climber was somewhere above Camp Four, had some issues with his breathing, passed out. 
And um, I think he was sort of separated from his guide group and a Sherpa that had been working in his own guide service came upon him and was able to rescue him and basically muster up a team of people to get this guy down to Camp 4, get him some oxygen and save his life. And it turned out that after the the climber had gotten back to civilization, he was on like a number of shows talking about the incident. He didn't give credit to the Sherpa at all for saving him. Apparently, the Sherpa carried him part of the way and uh, eventually you know the Sherpa found out that this guy even blocked him on social media for whatever reason the person did turn around and sort of and give some credit but it was sort of like more credit to the guide services than the individual Sherpa that had saved him so just thought it was a little bit interesting that somebody would save someone else's life and then not give them credit yeah that is a little odd Sherpa shaming that's not right yeah, it is interesting. I feel like there's more to this story, though, because after I, I read the first couple of articles and it, it sort of painted this really bad picture of the Malaysian climber, then later articles um, gave a little bit more detail. And like it turns out that the Sherpa owns his own guide service and he isn't just some like low level worker. He's somebody that actually is a, you know, has some some juice within the, the climbing community. So I don't know what uh, what to think. Hmm. Radio yeah. silence on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody has an opinion, so moving on. Um, Stomp, I learned a new thing this week about, um, you know how like on all trails in Gaia, you have like those maps that you can use? Most of them are open street name maps. Right, yep. So um, there was a, a, a controversy in my town where the town had designated this section of trails as a, um, as a park, officially, and that gave them the ability to block a strip club that was supposed to come into that area. Okay. So they had uh, designated this as a park and then development went on and they, they basically blocked that that from coming in and they decided they're going to develop this particular area. So they wanted to, they named the park after this person to honor them and they decided they're going to move the location of the park across town. So they already signed the ordinance like a year or two ago and they moved it. So the name of the park is Margaret Rice Park. So they moved it like a, a probably about two miles away to this other section of trails, but nobody ever put in the change request with any of the mapping companies. So there was a discussion online about like, hey, this is moved, but everyone was, is, everyone was saying, well, Margaret Rice Park is in the old location that's now being developed and every map you look at shows it there. So... I started nerding out and I was like, how can I get Margaret Rice Park changed? And I was able to sign on to open street maps, create a, a profile, and then actually update the place names to move Margaret Rice Park from down by the Merrimack River up about two miles to where it's supposed to be. Hmm. So if anybody's ever curious about like place names and how to change them, one of the ways that you can do that is actually create an account on OpenStreetMaps, and then you can add place names, you can you can change place names, you can add trail names, and, and edit all kinds of stuff that actually shows up on all trails and on um, Gaia, any 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 platform that uses OpenStreetMaps. Hmm, that's interesting. Do you guys yeah. use any of that stuff? Ian does. I use Gaia. I've never used OpenStreetMaps though. Yeah. Well, one of the layers on, so when you pick, when you, when you sign into Gaia, 
you can pick layers of maps that you want to use. And one yep. of the selections is open street maps and it, it, it has all the trails on it. So a lot of people actually do choose that as a layer mm. for it. So it's, it's just one of the layers that's available. I mean, mm. I am dying to know who Margaret Rice is. I don't know who she is either. I was like looking that up. She, I'm sure she was a very nice person, but um, they basically just created that park to block this certain development and then, decided to move it around but I just thought it was funny like they changed the name two years ago but no one ever like took the time to to move it on the maps so yeah. I'm doing good work there Stomp <laughs> gonna get straight through the pearly gates <laughs> yes yeah exactly alright so moving on to the next story here Stomp you got this from Grandpa Stomp a Tennessee <laughs> woman accused of hiring a dark web hitman to kill her hiking buddy's wife. So if I can summarize this as far as I can see, so you guys have it right. Like, so Ken, you don't eat stuff. When you were looking for hiking friends, you did not, you looked for men to hike with, right? So that the wife wouldn't give you a hard time, right? In the dark web or the regular web? (laughs) Well, the regular web. Anyway. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So apparently (laughs) this woman met a hiking friend on match.com. She was like, I don't know if she was looking for just a friend or whatever happened there, but she started hiking with this gentleman and he was married and, you know, I guess she was spurned lover or something. And she, she basically went and hired a hitman to kill the wife, but they met through hiking. So, he was, I guess she helped him with his Appalachian Trail hike. She would make reservations at hostels and rest points and watch his vehicle. And, um, you know, at some point, you know, she started like getting jealous of the wife. And, you know, the wife reported that uh, her car started getting keyed and she received all these unpleasant phone calls. And eventually um, the the second, the, the girlfriend on the side apparently tried to hire a hitman, right, Stomp? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, did you say that they met through Eric Sweet's dating app? (laughs) No, no, but uh, whatever, yeah. Yeah, this woman ordered a murder for hire on January 11th, according to the criminal complaint. And it goes into all kinds of details, but... um, Man, at some point she was saying, I hope you both fall off a cliff and die. So I guess there was plenty of lead up to this. Yeah, I feel like the most interesting part of this story is that like an apparent, I don't know how to get on the dark web. I've heard of the dark web, but I don't know exactly how you get on there. But apparently there's a site that's called Online Killers Market, which offers hitmen, hitmen for hire. Mm. So if there's any law enforcement listening, I would, that's a good site. That's a good site to hang out on. And you might be able to crack some crime. Gee whiz. Yeah, this this person was losing it. Unpleasant phone calls, using electronic devices to disguise voices. Um, unbelievable. It's a crazy story. Uh, l- looking at the Strava app for information yeah. as to where they were going. Like, yeah. That's a Just an idea for a new business anyway. <laughs> you know, start a site, cap a hiker. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Stomp, would Mrs. Stomp care if you went hiking with like just another another female hiker? Oh, sure. Absolutely. There are very few that I will 
actually be able to go to go and do that with and that's i think that's appropriate anyway you know you don't want to yeah. cause any issues yeah um, i get that too oh I absolutely do it yeah um you know group settings no problem but if it was like a solo thing then yeah that's very very rare far and few between don't want yep. to create the uh impression of uh or perception of anything untoward going on yeah yeah i agree How about you? as well yeah, same here. I wouldn't feel like comfortable doing that. Like it would seem a little weird. Then of course there's Ken. He's he's out with the hiker babes all the time. <laughs> so I don't know what that's all about. My oh my. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. That that's really impressive, that site actually. Yeah. I had no idea that existed. I mean, if the ten of them go on a hit on my wife thinks of the money they can save. <laughs> <laughs> Crowdfund it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right so we've all established no uh no solo female hiking together i guess at this point but um Correct. speaking of female hikers um heather anderson who was a legendary through hiker she is known by a niche is her trail name she recently we talked about this a couple of episodes ago and we left it on a cliffhanger that she was trying to complete the fastest known time for uh, the 250-mile section of the Appalachian Trail that runs through Pennsylvania. And she was successful doing that. And um, we'll include this article in the show notes. It's from Backpacker Magazine. It's pretty interesting. She's sort of gone through a a tough time around, like, you know, she, she set the fastest known time for the Pacific Crest Trail, dipped her toes into a couple of other, like, speed hiker situations and ultra running and sort of felt like, you know, maybe I don't belong in this group. Like I'm not this super athlete. I just, you know, I persevere and it's a different sort of skill set to do these long trails versus the ultra running community. So she sort of questioned herself a little bit, but it sort of talks through how she sort of re-embraced the idea of trying to do some fastest known times. And it's, it's a good article and it's, it's sort of good to even see somebody that's this you know, accomplished of an athlete sort of go through their own struggles and come out the other side feeling like they found a balance and, and they found happiness in their lives. So good for her. Mm-hmm. I know a niche. You do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I also know a nephew too, but. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Excellent. That good. This We've is going to be a long night. Yeah. I'm going to walk into these all night. Uh, <laughs> All right, Stump, you pulled this one here. So this is a um, a West Coast trail hiker who lost his eye on a hike is now fighting a brain infection. So this is a really <laughs> uplifting story. You want to talk about I'm on this? A roll. Yeah. I um I had to put this one in here because you have to hear the story. It's worth talking about. So um, they this father and son duo had been planning a trip and. Um, they were on this iconic path, and uh, it's a West Coast trail. Um, on day three of the hike, to avoid an extra muddy section, uh, Brett's father decided to walk along the trunk of a fallen tree. That's when he lost his footing, falling on a branch, sending it through his eye socket and lodging into his brain. Yikes. You don't hear that too often, do you? Oh, That's why I added them. Like, wow. It just goes to show you what's possible out there if you're not careful. Did so, they have a splint? Hike safeguard. Um, a 14-inch stick was poking oh. out of his face. So the rescuers arrived hours later and got him to the hospital. But now, unfortunately, this fella is um, dealing with um, 
an infection that's being treated with antibiotics, but you know the it's still up in the air as to what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Full recovery will take months. Amazing. There is a GoFundMe uh, fundraiser, which we'll uh, include in the show notes, just so you can check it out if you want to donate. Yeah, watch out for those twigs. Yeah, I know that guy too. <laughs> oh, do you? <ya>? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well... I've got one more. Uh, so we'll skip the story that's coming up next on the script stump, but I got one more uplifting oh. one. So um, a hiker initially thought to have been shot was actually the victim of a horse kick to the head. <laughs> so, wow. so it's that's a, crazy. it's rough out there right now. So uh, this was a, this happened in Marin County. So I think that's in California. So a suspicious death of a hiker in Marin County last week may have been caused by a kick from a horse, the sheriff's office said. So 651 on a Friday, an emergency call reported a man suffering from an apparent fall and a head wound. Um, This man was identified as an, he was 82 years old. He was taken to the hospital where he unfortunately died of his injuries. Initially, the medical staff reported that the um, the victim appeared to have a ballistic wound to his head. The sheriff's office now says that the observation does not appear to be valid. Um, at the conclusion of the ops- autopsy, it was determined based on all available evidence that the injuries sustained were caused by the, a blunt force strike. And the sheriff's office is now investigating the possibility that the subject was kicked by a horse. So apparently a horse was seen along the fire road when emergency responders were tending to uh, this gentleman. So they suspect that it was just a a freak accident and the horse kicked him. (laughs) Ian's still trying to recover from the last one. Okay. That's a terrible um, story. It's a way to kick the bucket. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. Um, And then moving on to the next one, a runner is hospitalized after being attacked by aggressive cows on the Colorado Trail. (laughs) Wow. This is is tying into your theory about all these animals just sort of losing it, like the whales, the orcas. Yeah, I think so. Aggressive cattle have been recently charging runners on this popular path. So runners are having a hard time staring clear, (laughs) staring clear, get it? Get it. Um, Of aggressive cattle on the Meadowlark Trail near Superior, Colorado, a boulder open space trail. So as far as I can tell, this looks to be one of those trails like on the, you know, on the Appalachian Trail, they have the ponies that will lick you salt off of you. Yeah. This looks like that type of trail where horses just graze along the trail and people hike. And apparently some of these cows are, um, you know, not happy. And I think that it has to do with uh, mothers protecting their calves. So rangers responded within 15 minutes to a report of this runner and the runner was taken to the hospital. Her condition is unknown, uh, but there's been multiple reports of trail users reporting aggressive cattle. So if you're on the Meadowlark Trail, just be be careful because there's nothing more terrifying than looking behind you to see a herd of very large mooing animals charging at you. Um, it's so like Monty that Python, a, Holy Grail. Yes. What are they so upset about? I mean, what's the beef? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> How do you come up with these off the top of your head? I don't know. I am not right in the head. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're really oh, on point too, which is yeah. what makes them funny. I was I was going to hike with that other guy. We were supposed to meet up at the trailhead and he said he'd keep an eye out for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh, this is oh. great. Yeah. It's so, and I have to thank uh, our friend Al for sending in those last two stories. He's fantastic. Like in, 
he's as close to a spirit of the animal as I can find because I don't know too many people. I like to do it, but Al seems to like to do it too, is to look and find these like weird hiking stories. So he's great. You know, you know what's really funny? Every time I look on the script, whenever you do a shout out to Al, I think it's shout out to AI for sending yes. along. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Hey, what's AI got to do with this? It's yeah, so no, funny. it's our friend Al. So, and then Al did send in one other piece of um, uh, a news article, which I thought was pretty interesting. Stomp. So, mm. he picked up this article that had search and rescue data for New York State uh, from 2012 to 2022, and it was interesting to compare their numbers to New Hampshire. And obviously, New York's a larger state, but they have about 300 rescues per year. And they indicated they rescued 5,400 people across the state from 2012 to 2022. And that compares to around 190 per year in New Hampshire. So interesting comparisons there. So slowly over time, I'm starting Mm -hmm. to build more and more data around states that give that information around search and rescue activities so we can get an idea of what's normal and what's not. Yeah, no kidding. What do you think the reasoning is? Just your gut. I think it's a bigger state. I think that in the article, and I'll link this in the show notes, that it it breaks down. Like there's a lot of different regions Mm -hmm. um, where search and rescues go. And I think the population is much bigger than New Hampshire. So you got to imagine like the volume of like elderly walk-offs in New York has to be like probably 10 times the number that you'd see in New Hampshire, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So they did say that missions spiked during the pandemic, that in 2020 and 2021, um, that they saw a significant increase and they had some days where they were doing three or four missions per days on the weekends in the Adirondacks. Um, and they said that the the largest volume of missions are in the high peak wilderness. They said that the, um, I guess, Mount Marcy via Van Hovenberg is the busiest trail. So that's their, that's basically their Franconia Ridge. And then they said there's Mount, Mount Colden via the Avalanche Pass is another one for them. So I guess there's a slide that's popular for hikers to summit. And sometimes they've got to deal with, with rescues up there. So yeah, New York's pretty busy. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Hey, I discovered this really cool app. Um, no, I didn't discover it. It was, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I want to give credit to Colby Chase, actually, a buddy of mine uh, from Moosehead Painting. He found this app and let me know about it. That's how I discovered it. And it's called um, Merlin and it's by Cornell. Is anybody familiar with this? Yeah. I, I think it, it was it was cool for hikers for sure. It's a bird finding app and uh, it's free, no advertisements. So Cornell put this app together and basically you can ID birds first you download a bird pack from the region that you live in and um you know i downloaded the northeast just a little earlier but you can identify a bird if you capture it on your phone you can id the sound you can capture the sound it will identify it so it's almost like um what's that app there that identifies music um shazam shazam Yeah, Shazam. It's just like that, but it's for birds, but it's also visual as well. Um, So check it out. It's free and it's absolutely amazing. And the the other neat thing about it is that Colby was telling me that if you play the sound of the bird, it draws them in. Hmm. So they it's so authentic. It's actual recording, so you can draw certain species in and uh, check it out. So yeah, it's called Merlin. I'm gonna check it out, Stomp. I have like a. I have this weird thing going on in the mornings with this guy 
that um, he's a bird <laughs> photographer. So oh, I yeah. run in the town park and like I, I have my routine and then this guy has his routine. And for a long time, we would just pass each other and I would just say hi. And then one time, like an, I don't know what the bird was, but it was like a big bird, like a, a hawk or something. I was super excited that I saw it. So I talked to the guy for the first time and I didn't know that you're supposed to like whisper because bird people, like you don't want to disturb the bird. So I was like, hey, there's a hawk up there. And he was like jumping and he's all quiet and stuff. And he's like, okay, thanks. He just wanted to get rid of me. Uh, but <laughs> I made up for it because now I know not to talk to him. So the other morning there was like six deer in the field where I usually stop and take a picture. And he was like walking the other way. So he would have missed the deer. So I ran up to him and I was like waving my hands to him, but I didn't say anything. And he looked at me like he, I was crazy, but he looked at me <laughs> and then I pointed and then I whispered and I was like, there's six deer on the field. And then he just like looked at me. I don't think he wanted to go take a picture of the deer, but I think he felt so bad that I was like so excited about it that he probably just wanted to go take a picture. But I'm going to tell him about this app now. Yeah, you should. Yeah, it's really, really top tier. It's a great app. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, maybe I should just leave the guy alone. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I feel Give like I should just weeks. leave him alone. <laughs> Come up to him every day with something new. Something new like, hey. Oh, I was, and I get so excited. Like every once in a while, I'd be like, "There's a duck in the other in the other part of the pond." So. <laughs> he might put a head out on you. <laughs> he may, yeah, he may have to go to the dark web. Anyway, start All right. Um, so advertisers. We're up, up to our first sponsor of the night, CS Instant Coffee. I think this is definitely the time to start prepping for your summer backpacking, right? So CS Instant Coffee, your one coffee solution anywhere anytime search cs instant coffee and then our second uh, sponsor of the evening here is base lake coasters and i'm putting the plug out there for father's day if um you want to get a great gift for fathers grandfathers and the whole gang base lake coasters they create unique beautiful functional and expertly laser engraved coasters with topographic maps of the 4,000 footers of new hampshire and more these coasters are handmade on Cape Cod from slate, quarried in the United States, and provide a durable and heat-resistant surface for your drinks. Each coaster features intricate detailing of any mountain topography for the location of your choice. Base Lake Coasters will work with you on your custom hand-designed coasters for any street or topographic map. Let's just say anywhere on Earth or beyond. So visit baselate.com today to explore a full range of topographic map coasters and use the code SLASHER10, that's S-L-A-S-R-10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Of course, you can get your free stickers at Ski Fanatics on Exit 28 in Campton and down in Ballardvale, Andover, Mass, off of Route 93, Deskham Road at Spinner's Pizza Parlor. And um, we only had one coffee donation this time around, but it was uh, pretty cool. It was a very, um, I don't want to say lengthy, but it was a thorough explanation of uh, an individual that um, had sort of put hiking away and, you know, put it in the closet and in the basement and all this stuff. And he came across the podcast and uh, we, I guess we inspired him to dig out his hiking poles in his backpack to get out there again. So it was really neat. It's on the Instagram page, um, the, his actual uh, letter that he sent to us. And uh, check it out. It's really, uh, it's very nice. And uh, thank you very much. And that was Mike from Western Mass. 
Yeah, Mike, definitely um, proud of you for getting out there. Keep at it one step at a time. And uh, Ken, I'll, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about Mike when we interview you at, later on. I want to give you a little bit of background on it and get your perspective on it. But Mike, we, we got the the letter and um, you know we're thinking about you and, and definitely get out there and and reclaim that, that hike that you, that hiking mentality that you wanted to have. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. I read that. He's certainly on the upswing. Oh, you read it as well? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty neat. It really is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. And then Stomp, can you give us an update on what's the latest on the, 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 um, don't break into my car clings there. Um, the order is, is it here or is it coming? It's it's on route. It landed in Chicago from Shanghai a couple days back, and I checked today. Today is June eighth, Thursday, and it is essentially in Ohio. It's just taking a thousand years to get here, but uh, we should have the package of clings within a few days. And I actually hope to get it to you, Mike, by Sunday if I get it by Saturday. So hopefully that'll okay. work out that way. Well, if you get it Saturday, I'll, I, we'll see each other reckless, so we can right. We yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Perfect. But it's it's en route. So thanks everybody for being patient. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess we, we pulled the trigger on the orders a little early, but we got excited. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see. Reckless. We'll see you at Reckless. And um, EMS, just want to say thank you for EMS for supporting us for these many months. And uh, again, we'll see you at Reckless this weekend, Saturday around three-ish after the 48 Peaks Alzheimer's uh, hikes. It's going to be a great time. Yep. And next, this is the part of the show where we talk about beer. I'm not drinking stop. I am down 17 pounds and I'm almost, I got three more pounds to go for my goal weight from out Washington, but I am going to start drinking again soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like after the hike, right? Or after the run. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I've lost a couple pounds, but really haven't changed much at all. How's your training going? Okay, I'm not doing much. I mean, I'm I'm doing like 25, 30 miles a week, but I'm not doing anything extra. It's just my normal running. Yeah, yeah, I've got it sort of, sort of dialed in. I'm feeling really good, actually. It's psychological. The, the two things I, I really focus on now is just looking three to four feet in front of me. Never look ahead. That just blows your mind like, oh my God. So I'm always looking a couple feet ahead, bird steps, and I'm finding the tangent. Remember Dave Dunham, find the tangent. So cutting the corners and just hugging the corner as you're taking it just to shave off uh, feet here and there. But uh, yeah, I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm definitely not nervous anymore about it. Yeah, so, we'll be fine. Yeah. Hopefully the weather works out. My goodness, next week, the long range forecast is looking more or less like this. And they just got four inches of snow up on Mount Washington just Mm -hmm. two days ago or so. Um, I could foresee them pulling the plug and maybe making it just half the race, but we'll see. No, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Don't take your negativity out the door. So, um, all right, stop. Any recent hikes for you? No, no, none, none whatsoever. Um, just, doing the running how about yourself yeah same with me i just went local i didn't get up north last weekend i think it was just because it was raining out but i am going hiking i might do something friday night and then because i'm heading up to maine and then i am going to hike on saturday before reckless so i may do the kinsmans i may do the presidentials i gotta figure out what the weather's gonna look like gotcha how about you guys ken you've been out no the last hike i did was a couple of months ago 
And um, I did the Chippewa Trail up Black Mountain. Beautiful. It was all ice. So coming down, I really wrecked my knee. <laughs> so yeah. well, now, a, it's, now it's going to be one. a hike by hike uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Ian? My last one was a couple of weeks ago. I adopted the uh, Hale Brook Trail a few years ago. So I went up and I did some maintenance on that. Where's, where is that exactly? Right on Zealand Road. Going up Hale. Brook. Gotcha. Okay. Got it. Yep. Was it a mess? It actually wasn't bad because I took care of it last year. When I got the trail, it wasn't taken care of for a few years, so it was terrible. But now that I've taken care of it in the fall, it's not bad to do in the spring. And I have a co-adopter that's starting with me this year, too. So do you have the entire trail? Yeah. Okay. Wow. 2.2 miles. Gotcha. That's awesome. What does it mean when you say, like, the trail was in terrible condition? Like, what what typically do you see when a trail's in bad shape? So essentially all the water billars are filled in with leaves and then usually debris, branches, and everything will fall down on top of where you have to move all of the stuff to get it out of the water bar. Blowdowns, too. So blowdowns, if it's something that we can do with a a hand cross-cut saw, we're good to go. But if it's something that you need a chainsaw for, we just mark it GPS and let our uh, manager know, and they'll take care of it. Interesting. And do you do anything with the fire wardens trail that 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 cut over to uh, North Twin, or is that just you don't touch that? I don't think the Forest Service even acknowledges that trail anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's just maintained by people walking on it. Exactly. Yeah, it's a really nice trail, though. I like that one more than the Hillbrook Trail. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been up Hillbrook. I've, the only time I've ever been to Hill is through um, Zealand and Lendahan, which I think is a beautiful trail. But I, I would assume that Hillbrook gets more traffic than Lendahan. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And Dave, last weekend I did Whiteface and Passaconaway. Great hike. Yeah, absolutely. How'd you go about it? Did uh, Whiteface first up the Blueberry Ledge, I believe trail it is. And yeah. Then, uh, cut over the ridge to uh, Passaconaway and then back down. Dicey's Mill. Yeah. Oh, Dicey's. Exactly. The Haunted Trail. <laughs> it's a great hike. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, you guys have gotten out more than we have, so we gotta we gotta change that stomp. Are you mm-hmm. hiking at all this weekend, or are you just too busy? Um. Well, I have to get ready for the DJing thing, so I'm just gonna run Saturday morning. Sunday, I might with Mrs. Stomp, but we'll play it by ear. Um, we're just down to the wire with this race, so I'm just all my efforts going into that right now. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, so we got more advertisers. Stomp. Yeah. Do Valcluse gear. Want ventilation and less sweat on your back when backpacking? Check out Valcluse backpack ventilation gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. It's uncomfortable and a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Vaucluse's ultralight ventilation backpack frame is an accessory that installs in your favorite pack size 18 liters to 55 liters, creating a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. They're releasing their Generation 2 frame right now. It weighs only 4 ounces and handles the heaviest pack loads. Whether you're in hot or cold temps or have a pack with a curved frame, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer for ventilation and airflow. So visit ValcluseGear.com to order a ventilation frame today. Valcluse is a fan of the podcast and uh, they have a nice promo code for us. It's Slasher for a $10 discount. So that's uh, S-L-A-S-R. And then um, Alzheimer's. 48 Peaks Alzheimer's. The big weekend is here. 
So hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks. Join over 450 hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 of the view to a prezi traverse or climb your favorite mountain. We'll be hosting our annual hiker celebration party at Reckless on June 10th. So make sure you register for 48 Peaks to join us. Go to alts.org right slash 48 peaks for all the details. And that's alz.org right slash 48, the number 48 peaks. Yeah. This yes. Is it. It's going to be a the big day on, you've all been on Saturday for. for 48 peaks. You down? You coming? I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah. I sent in my, uh, I'm supporting Lynn's team. I sent in. A little something there, and then I'm going to wear my purple shirt when I hike on Saturday, and then head over to Reckless. Excellent. Do you know what your route is yet? I don't know yet. I'm just I'm going with my my daughter and her boyfriend want to do a four thousand footer, so I'm just sort of like donating to Lynn's team, and then going hiking and showing up, and then I might put together a team later on in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, how many people in your crew? I don't know. It's to be determined, but I'm just going to be, it's going to be me and my daughter and her boyfriend hiking on Saturday. Okay. Awesome. Do you want me to play any songs for you in particular? Cool in the gang. (laughs) (laughs) You got it, bud. You got it. Right. segment of the week so we are welcoming ken and his crew here so ken why don't you introduce yourself again for listeners it's been a while since we've had you just give a little bit of background on yourself sure so my name is ken bossy and i got into hiking in a serious way probably about 10 years ago started off with the 48 and then wrote a book on that did the 52 wrote a book on that And then this last one was on solo hiking, winter hiking, and overnighters. And that's the third book that came out. All the profits go to New Hampshire Search and Rescue. And um, yeah, that's about it. Excellent. And then you're here with your crew. So Ian, we've had you on before, and then we've got David as well. So Ian, why don't you reintroduce yourself and give a little bit of background, and then we'll let David say hello. Yeah, I'm Ian. Kind of started when I was reading Ken's facebook post that eventually turned into his book um but i was going from a more heavy lifting style of fitness to want to start hiking more so i asked him if i could tag along for one of his hikes uh started hiking with him and keith and then started hiking with dave and that's kind of how i got here great and dave why don't you introduce yourself yeah my hiking started back about 15 years ago Um, i used to hike with a lady named sue who is now part of the co-host trail a wonderful lady um But before hiking with her, I actually used to run with her and I was on a reach the beach team uh, and she recruited me for the, um, to start hiking. Uh, And later on, I'd like to chat a little bit about reach the beach and some of the uh, recent developments since both of you are runners. Uh, I did all 12 legs back in the day, but ultimately 
um, I started hiking with Sue and uh, that group uh, grew a little bit. Uh, and then that group sort of <clears throat> uh, changed with people moving. Uh, and then I hooked up with uh, PK and Ian. PK is Pastor Ken. Ken, by the way, for <laughs> listeners. Yeah. So Ken, was Dave, was he like your hiking guru? Was he the one that like showed you the way or were you guys learning at the same time? No, Dave had a, a head start. He was hiking for a while before we met at Rotary in Raymond. We were both members of the Rotary Club. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rotary, but every meeting they do a happy dollar. And so you give a dollar and say what you're happy about. So I was usually saying, you know, I'm happy. I'm hiking in Patakaway Park. And I did like a 13 miler or I did a seven miler or whatever. And then Dave started approaching me saying, you know, I hike a lot too. I hike up in the whites. And so that started getting me interested about if I could uh, go back and visit the 4,000, you know, 4,000 footer. Cause I had done a couple when I was like 19 and I did a couple when I was probably my late twenties. Um, but now I, at that time I was 59 and I'm like, Oh boy, I don't know if I could do one. So uh, uh, there's a guy in my church, Keith, he's, he's older, he's 10 years older than I am, but he was an avid runner all his life. And so I hooked up with him cause he was retired and I have a flex schedule. And I said, hey, could you go with me? And that's so Keith and I started hiking. And then Dave, um, you know, heard we were hiking quite a bit. And he wanted to connect with us. And same thing with Ian. He wanted to connect with us. So the four of us kind of became uh, the crew. <laughs> Great. And then as far as your your writing, so you guys got together doing a bunch of hikes. And you, you eventually overcame the concern about whether you could do it at your age and you, you made, you made it through, um, you know, a number of different hikes and lists and things like that. You've done the 4,000 footers, 52 with a view. At what point did you come up with the idea of writing the books? And, you know, can you talk a little bit about your writing process? Yeah. So, um, the first, the first hike I did was Mount Wombach and I just about died on it. I mean, I was like 50 pounds overweight, um, really unconditioned. You know, like I said, I was just doing a lot of flat hiking in Patekaway. And um, so I wrote a funny story about it on Facebook because I have about 700 followers, 800 followers on Facebook. And, um, and people just loved it. And so I kept on hiking, obviously. And I don't know, somewhere up around uh, the sixth or seventh mountain that I was writing these funny stories about how I almost died on every single one of them, people started saying, you need to put this in a book. And I'm not an author. And I was like, I, I don't want to write. Um, I'm just having fun with this stuff. And then I thought, well, I don't want to, um, I'm not looking to make money off of this. <clears throat> so I thought, well, you know, if I, if I did write a book and if I gave the money to Search and Rescue, that would be a big incentive for people to buy the book just for the fact that they're donating to a worthy, worthy cause. So that's kind of how it started. That's how it took off. And then, and then you know, the, the, the public just started, after that book was written and published and read, uh, the public just started coming back at me saying, you got to write another one. You got to write another one. And at that time, I had already done probably two thirds of the 52 without even knowing it. And um, so it was easy to to knock that one out. And that's how it kind of started. And these two guys, I mean, these two guys can give you more information on the ludicrous that you would ever want to have. You know, what I mean, it's like they just give you all, <laughs> they give me a lot of fodder. <laughs> I bet, I bet. And then just looking back, so your first two books, one was focused on the 4,000 footers and the second one was 52 with a view. Do you have a perspective, you know, and a little bit of time's gone by now too. And I, I think about this quite a bit when I talk to people and I almost like encourage people to think about doing the 52 with a view first because I think it's just a better list. And I think that it gives you sort of a better view of 
New Hampshire overall, but uh, do you have, like, if you were going to give advice to people to talk about, like, the difference between 52 with a view and 4,000 footers, what, how would you describe it and what advice would you give people? You know, I think, I think it depends on the person. Like if it's a person that's just getting into hiking and, you know, maybe they're older or out of shape a little bit, not conditioned, definitely start with, you know, the easier 52s. Like, you know, um, uh, what's that one? Rogers Mount. Rogers Ledge. Rogers. Well, no, it's yeah. the other one we do up in uh, the Lakes region. Roberts, Mount Roberts. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mount Roberts yeah. and Mount Shaw and some of the easier 52s with a view. Th- those would really be the best ones to start off on until you get conditioned. You know, young people that are in their 20s, they can probably tackle anything because they're, you know, if they're fit anyway, they can they can do that stuff. But, um, and I think the other fact too is that a lot of the, a lot of the 48s don't even have views. Um, and so if you're looking for the reward of getting views, then definitely do the 52 with a view because they all have great views. Yeah, yeah. I mean, poor Ian's dealing with like, he he's fixing that dumb trail up to nowhere. It's crazy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Big rock pile at the top. Yeah. What's the, actually, that's a good question. Ian. What is the deal with that rock pile up on top of hill? Like, do you, as a trail maintainer, do they give you any advice about like, stacking that big rock pile on the on the summit or that was not that my orientation now <laughs> it wasn't in the orientation no. are you supposed to poke that to make sure there's no hornet's nest inside of it i don't know if i'd want to because there probably is i hope somebody's listening that's in charge of like the the trail maintainers and they can add that to your list of duties if the it list was, of duties is pretty small they don't want us to mess anything up yeah there no, was I get ever a case of leave no trace that pile up there would be it <laughs> You got to take that thing apart. That's your next duty. Yeah, <laughs> I did actually. Way up. Yeah, you I could. did read that Eisenhower, the the um the rock pile on top of Eisenhower's, they did take down a little bit. I guess they took they made it smaller. Hmm. This this season, apparently, yeah. I yeah. don't know if that was because of the the beehives up there or whatnot, but but anyway, we're we're. Off on a little tangent here, but Ken, so now you've written the two books, you've now written the third book. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about like the idea behind the third book? Because this new book is not so much about a list, but it's just about a couple of different topics. So how would you describe it? Yeah, so people wanted me to write more. Um, you know, they've really been enjoying the books. And I was thinking, you know, there are no more lists really. And uh, well, I mean, I could do um, Maine and New Hampshire. Um, or Vermont and New Hampshire, uh, Maine. Let me get the states right. Vermont and <laughs> Maine. Um, but I just thought, well, you know, it's different. Solo hiking is a totally different feel from hiking with a group. And winter hiking is definitely, you know, probably the most dangerous. People need to know some of the cautions that are involved with winter hiking. And then so um, overnighters, um, you know, a lot more people are doing overnighters and things like that. So I just thought I'd throw out some funny stories about that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and it, it came out good. It came out really good. I really liked that third book. You conveniently yeah, no, left it, out the terrifying 25 list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole trail on Cardigan. That was a fun one. <laughs> That's a great chapter. I had no idea. I heard rumors about that trail, but that was a nice chapter to read. Have you ever done it? No, but yeah. I was there with you reading the chapter. Yeah. It was great. It was yeah. really well done. Yeah. yeah it was something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never done that one either. I, I bypassed it because I was with some friends and I didn't want to take them down that steep section because I they weren't very experienced. But it's um, it looks a little 
little daunting. So yeah. hmm. it's good. Now w- with the solo hiking, Ken, did you do, a, I feel like, I can't remember when we talked last time, I feel like you were a lot of times hiking with friends. Is the solo hiking uh, more of a new thing for you or have you always been doing it? Okay. So I'm going to tell the truth. Yep. <laughs> the solo hiking came from the three of these goons relentlessly picking on me until I couldn't stand their company anymore. And then I said, I'm just going to go out on a trail by myself. And, uh, and I actually started enjoying it. So then they started pouting and crying and offering me money saying, please come back and hike with me. And so, so I did, but, yeah. um, I got to admit, you know what the, the, I think the best hike I've hiked so far in my life was the solo winter hike of Mount Liberty. Because the first time we did Mount Liberty, I was with Dave and I think Keith and another um, gentleman, and it was socked in when we got to the top. So I never actually got the view. And so that day that I did it in the winter, you know, just it was a 360 view. And it, that, I think that's just a really gorgeous peak. Yeah, I love it up there. And it's a it's a it's a tough hike. Do you get concerned or at all? Or do your loved ones get concerned at all about you going out there by yourself? So they give you a hard time? These guys do because they don't want to see me expire. Then they wouldn't have any fun hiking. Um, my wife just keeps <laughs> taking out more insurance and saying, I think you could do bigger mountains. <laughs> uh, so no one's yeah. worried about you. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, yeah. truly, my, my wife does get concerned sometime. And, you know, I, I assure her that there are plenty of other hikers on the trail. I mean, I really don't do a solo of something that's really remote. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then what about the the backpacking and overnighting um, or the overnight trips? Is that something that's relatively new for you or were you doing those all along? No, um, we were hiking. And while we were hiking, the three of us just kept buying more gear uh, for who knows why. You know how that is, right? Yep. And um, so the next thing you know, we're buying sleeping bags and air mattresses and pillows and stoves. And, you know, we really never did overnighters. And then I, Dave was like a real big driver behind this. Let's do some overnighters. And um, so we did. So, you know, we did a couple of them. I think, I don't know how many are recorded in the book, but we've, we've done a few of them and um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Who of the three of you, who's the planner? Not Ken. Yeah. <laughs> Not Ken. <laughs> who's the idea person? So typically it's Ian. Uh, <clears throat> usually if Dave and I, set up a hike it takes maybe five text messages yeah. if pk is involved it's usually 25 to 35 if not more <laughs> is it because he's just asking a bunch of questions or is he making excuses what's excuses, his excuses the weather yeah. all of it we yeah. we suspect that on his phone he has a number of weather apps which is awesome i mean we all use different places to check our weather before a hike unfortunately he has like vermont or new york as as the location because it's always Antarctica <laughs> yeah the rainforest really. now do you guys do you generally when you're planning hikes if he's if he is giving like you a hard time about like I don't want to go whatever do you and I, I do this with my kids sometimes like I'll basically just be like alright well I'm leaving you will that will that typically prompt him to stop the nonsense and, and just say okay I'm going no no it probably ramps it up no. really the nonsense never stops so, so okay. how often will you guys plan a hike and then and then Pastor Ken will bail out and you guys just go on your own? Oh boy. Oh <laughs> that's seventy five percent of the time. Oh. Really? We we won't talk about last year because Dave Dave was the bail king last year. 
But, um, you, you know, <laughs> it's been a lot of developments since the first book. I think I mentioned in the third book that these guys will look at a weather forecast on Monday for that following weekend, thinking that the weather's going to hold. And yeah. so they're like Monday, they're saying, hey, let's do this hike. And I'm like, I'm not going to budge until Friday because the weather changes so fast. And then mm-hmm. by golly, sometimes the weather holes. And then I'm like, sure, I'll go hiking. <laughs> Right. But so Ian, there is so you two got so if I'm understanding the dynamic correctly, you two guys are planning, you've got your weekend plans, and then Ken is essentially just keeping an eye on the weather and then if the weather window looks good, he'll join you guys. If not, then you're on your own going up there. Oh yeah, you're getting a good image of it. Okay. <laughs> you, you need to understand that Ian will plan a hike when it's gonna be ninety five degrees out. Mm-hmm. Um and I've almost died on a couple of those. No respect for his elders. And then, um, and then sometimes he'll plan, uh, like, you know, Welsh Dickey after a downpour or while it's raining, you know, with the slippery mm-hmm. slab rock and so, or, or Monadnock, you know, in the rain, uh, I had a nasty fall on that one. Well, I know you guys typically, <laughs> d- are you limited to, um, hiking on the weekends or do you, can you plan hikes like midweek in the summer? We do a little bit of, uh, everything more on the weekends, uh, just because that tends to lend to all of our schedules. Uh, but uh, we do we do uh, things in the summer and the during the week. Typically, on Fridays, I can uh, take some time off uh, during the summer during the nice weather, and uh, we'll do some then. Yeah. Right. When I first met Dave, he was the chief of police in Raymond, and so okay. um, we we had a lot of flexibility. Um, he's since retired, and now he has a real job, and um, so he can only work on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> And you've all like you're all pretty accomplished and experienced, and you've been there, done that as far as most of the peaks. So, and I'm kind of at that point now where I'm in like like second or third season where I've I've done a lot of the stuff in New Hampshire, and I I think through like last year I was like I'm going to focus on Evans Notch, and I I did a lot of those summits that I hadn't touched in Evans Notch, and then you know I'll, I'll I'll focus on certain areas for a while, and and then go to all those trails, and then move on to something else but do you find that it's more difficult to decide where to go now that you've sort of been there done that and hiked a lot of the trails or is it always just you know new places for you to visit i think more recently ian and i have been um, focusing on the lists Um, i don't want to say grid per se but on mountains that we have we we have done but not in that season just Mm -hmm. so that we're not repeating the same one over and over uh, needlessly that way, you know, we're accomplishing something um, down the road. So far, one of my favorite hikes has probably been when we kind of just looked for an overnight that we want to do. And we did Ethan Pond Trail yeah. from Crawford Notch over to Zealand. What an awesome trail that is. Yeah. It's flat. You're not hitting a peak. But we didn't. Well, we did see people because the cabin, the shelter there was full on a rainy night that we didn't expect. But that's an interesting chapter, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great lesson in preparedness. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's nice to not always focus on the list and just kind of pick a spot on the map and let's go check it out. Yeah, yeah. And Ken, are you a hammock person or a tent person when you're overnighters? Most of our overnighters have just been cowboy camping, just under the stars. Yeah, it's really uh, impressive. We, we either have a little bit of elevation or we're in um, early fall into through fall that there's no you know bugs to deal with or anything like that. Okay. And no concern about mice crawling over you in the middle of the night while cowboy camping? Um, <laughs> he's scared of mice, but we we don't mean he don't have a concern on that. Oh, was I not supposed to tell him that 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 was a possibility? No, no, I don't know if you read the um uh, the overnighter on one of the peaks that um I 
I, I woke up and I thought it was a bear that was like sniffing my pack. And uh, I screamed. I sat up and yelled at it, like, you know, go away. Um, but I think it was just a mouse that was scratching on my pack trying to get in. Because okay. so you know, my pack is like right by my head when I do an overnighter. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Which <laughs> makes it beer. scary when I wake up in the morning and these guys have put all their trash <laughs> in my pack. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Exactly. And can you talk in a little bit about your writing process? Like, do you just commit to say like, okay, I'm going to write three pages today and and eventually I have a book or do you just write in spurts? I mean, I'll do, a, I'll do a story at a time. Like I'll do a trail at a time. So if we go, if we do an overnighter or if it's a solo or if it's uh, all of us together, um, I will do that hike and I'll just make a lot of mental notes about it. And then when I get back, I just start putting it together. Um, Usually in a very factual, truth manner. <laughs> and do you have a uh, do you have an editor or somebody that keeps you grounded? I think one of the things I always worry about with Stomp is that he's going to say something that gets us canceled or yeah. uh, gets us in trouble or something like that. Do you have somebody that sort of keeps an eye on you and makes sure that you're you're behaved in what you're writing? Yeah, my wife, Darlene, uh, is usually pretty good. Like she'll say, you can't put that in there. Um, and most of the times I listen to her, sometimes I don't because it's just too funny and I have to leave it in there. Um, when I started the first book, like I said, they were independent short stories. And so when I put them together in a book, I really didn't edit that well. That first one wasn't edited that great. So there was a lot of reintroducing of the characters and things like that. Um, the second and third book started getting uh, edited a lot better, you know, more more professionally, I should say. Yeah. yeah, and you probably just find your your rhythm and your cadence and your writing as well over time, I would guess. You know, it's amazing. After you write something, you now have like a blind eye to whatever you wrote that may be wrong. And you can review it a hundred times and you'll never see that, mm -hmm. that unedited word or that unedited sentence. A fresh set of eyes looking at it definitely picks up, but not all the time. Editing is a tough process. Mm. I mean, man, uh, you know, we had this last book, the third book, literally had two different editors, and I must have reread it five or six times and was still finding things that, you know, I was referring to, like, uh, uh, I was referring to getting really, you know, really early on a mountain saying that, you know, it was a beautiful sunset. And so, like, there's no writing program that picks up that as being uh, a typo or, you know, a bad word. Um because it's spelt right and it sounds right. But, you know, in, in the sentence, it's like I'm talking about getting at a mountain early and seeing a sunset. And all of a sudden you pick up on that and you're like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> right. read right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You didn't have a deadline for the book, right? No. That's good. No. Because can you imagine having a deadline trying oh, to do all that? No way. Yeah. Wow. No way. Neat. Yeah. And Stomp, you, you were able to read the book. Unfortunately, I was slammed at work this week and I haven't been able to fully read the book. I read a couple of chapters, uh, but you had picked out some highlights. Do you want to go through a couple of those and ask Ken about them? Yeah. Could we do a rapid fire and just talk about a couple of things? Sure. I actually wrote down a ton and then I said, oh, I don't want to give away so much here. Let the readers enjoy it. So, But I do have a couple of things maybe we could hit on. Um, in the book, you talk about 10 hiker categories. Would you want to talk about one of those that is your highlight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, you know, um, so it's kind of funny. I just started thinking about it. And I, I don't know, I must have come on off a couple of trails where, and I'm sure you've seen like the busload of college students 
um, you know, that are going up. It looks like an international convention. Um, and, um, and they're usually wearing sneakers and things. So I just, you know, I thought that was funny. I mean, it's dangerous, but I thought it was funny. I made something like that. And then the, um, uh, sort of like the middle age housewife hikers, um, there's a boatload of them. Like, I mean, when you hike, like, I don't know, what, what did you guys say? Like, what's the percentage when we hike? It's a good percentage. It's a lot of like, yeah. yeah. So, but I, I wanted to be careful because there are so many of them. I didn't want to get trail mugged or have a hit put out on me. Mm-hmm. Lose an eye. Lose an eye. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing, actually. I noticed that there was a warning at the beginning of the book as regarding your humor. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because it's such an interesting time in the culture with people hemming and hawing about what you can and cannot say. And how did you deal with the humor? Yeah, I think I just put a disclaimer up there that some of this material may be found offensive. And a few years ago, that used to be called humor. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay to make fun of stuff. And um you know, I make fun of everything and anything. And a lot of times I make fun of myself. A lot of times I make fun of myself. And I feel that, you know, if people, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to make fun of other people, you should be able to make fun of yourself as well. So I throw a lot of that in there and, uh, and these guys constantly make fun of me. So I get all kinds of good ideas from them. But uh, yeah. Interesting. Tell me about the, uh, your experience with uh, Pemi Search and Rescue. That was, um, that was quite a hike for, first of all, it was a tremendous opportunity, um, to get hooked up with that crew and to actually do a hike with them. Um, when I put a feeler out, I was just thinking about going to a meeting that they do planning, you know, and just getting some insight on how they put plans together. And then I get the invite to actually go and do a hike with them. Um, uh, it was just a, a wonderful experience. It turned out to be a very cold day, um, and Dave and I had climbed Mount Jackson exactly on the same day the year before, and it was freezing. What would you say, Dave? How, how cold did you say it was up on the summit? Oh, boy. On the summit, it was <clears throat> definitely 10, 15 below zero. It, it was, was one of those days. The wind was yeah. howling, and it was just really freezing cold. Um, but it was a great experience hiking with them. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if they normally hike that fast or if that's like a slow rate for them. Uh, I, I was, man, I was, I was beat. Um, they, they whipped my butt, but the very gracious, very kind, um, people, the whole crew. And then we got into the sked training mm. and, uh, and that was interesting. And at first they said, Hey, you know, Ken, why don't you be our patient? And I was all like psyched. I was like, Oh, this would be so good for the book. But when they started strapping me into that thing, I just started getting claustrophobic and I'm like, you know what? I think this is as far as I'm going. <laughs> They get up to about my waist and I'm like, uh, hey guys, this is not feeling too good. Yeah. So again, they were very gracious saying, okay, this is not for you then. Don't right, do it. Right, right. And for listeners, the sked is a plastic taco, essentially. You get wrapped <laughs> up in a plastic taco and because it's a sled, it moves like a bullet. So, I mean, there was, I, I had one occasion to get into a litter as a patient. It was terrifying. I can't even imagine what getting a, a sked would be like. Yeah. Yeah. I know I, um, one of the girls that was there, um, I asked her, I said, like, are you guys qualified to give pain meds, like to knock somebody out? And she said, no. And, um, and that put me in a quandary. Cause I was thinking like, if I break a leg, do I get in that thing or do I just die along the side of the trail? <laughs> and so uh, I think in the book I mentioned, I believe my plan will be is I'll bribe one of them to go into Gorham, score some drugs, come back up, give them to me, knock me out, and then we'll we'll be good to go. But uh, yeah, it was a great, that was a great hike. It was a great day. Now in this book, you also got to spend time with the advanced search and rescue team of Fish and Game. Let's talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah. So Dave and I had gone to a meeting to present them a check, actually. And yeah. um, we met Lieutenant Nealon, um, who's the overseer of that. And um, so, again, I just reached out to him looking for material for the book um, on the same line as with the PEMI group saying, hey, could I sit in on a meeting? And it was like a week after. And he said the same thing. He goes, yeah, we're actually doing a winter uh, simulation and rescue and training. And why don't you come with us? Yeah. So uh, Keith was able to go with me on that one. And uh, we did uh, fire screw up over to Cardigan. And again, just, you know, so much information that the readers will see, like their, the, the, the poles that they use um, for plunging. If somebody's under in an avalanche, the beacon systems that they use. Um, it was really, it was a really great group of guys. Mm-hmm. Ken, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, how was the texting negotiation back and forth for both of those hikes? What do you mean texting? Were you, were you like negotiating whether you were going to go before or were you just committed to those ones regardless of the weather? <laughs> oh, he was negotiating. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after I said I would go, I was pretty much locked in. I had to go. Um, no backing out on those ones, right? Uh, not to say that I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You know, not so card, not cardigan as much because I love cardigan. I, I've done, I must have done that like a dozen times at least. But um, the Jackson one, that would have, that was my third trip up Jackson, and and that's uh, you know that's got a good pull to it. Oh yeah, so. that last that last half mile was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then you had like, I guess I'm giving a little bit away here, but like you thought that like okay, we're not going to the summit, so you were sort of in in mind of thinking like, okay, we're going to go up a little ways. Maybe we'll go up to the trail junction of Webster, but then you had to go all the way up, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a shock. Yeah. And and again, it was it was really, really, really cold that day. The wind was just ripping. And, you know, I've been in some cold weather, but you have those three or four experiences. Uh, I would say the two times on Jackson with Dave, with the um, Pemi Search and Rescue, and then uh, with Keith on Mount Success, uh, we did that on a day that it was just brutally cold. I mean, you couldn't be out on the summit longer than like 120 seconds and you wanted to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. What advice do uh, do you guys have for newer hikers that are just looking at, you know, we get these, we get people commenting all the time around, like, just picked up your show. I'm getting into hiking. I want to learn. If you're a new hiker and you're starting out around this time of the year, what advice do you have for, for new people as far as gear and picking where to go? Yeah, I got, just talk a little bit about the winter hiking on Jackson, uh, just to follow up with uh, yep. PK's story. The advice I would give, and me and PK, the day that we did it was in January, uh, the first time, and the forecast was for uh, bitterly cold, um, 20, 25 miles per hour wind. Um, We actually got to the trailhead. There was some fresh snow. uh, So parking, I have a small car. was hard to get over the uh, snowbank. But once we did, we both were headed up the trail and we're like, wow, it's cold, but there's absolutely zero wind. Um, Unfortunately, when we got to the summit and we poked out onto it, uh, what we discovered was the mountain was shielding the wind, and we got hit with the full force of the wind, uh, which you know, wasn't a problem. We were able to duck out. But here's my advice. Uh, I was wearing uh, hiking mittens, a nice pair of uh, hiking mittens. They tend to run small on my hands, uh, so getting my hand into them when they're dry is can be a little bit challenging. What I discovered that day is my hands were a little bit moist from going up the hill, I took my hand out of my hiking mitten to take, use my phone, take a nice video of the, uh, 
the, the wind on the summit, you know, the beautiful snow. And of course you get looking up into the presidentials. Mm. I couldn't get my hand back in my mitten. That was it. It had in that short period of time, uh, had gotten cold enough, but I'm not sure if it swelled slightly from, from the cold or from uh, just hiking up. Mm. Couldn't get it back in. And uh, ultimately I had to tuck it in my jacket and PK was able to uh, open a pair of hand warmers for me as we started down. But yeah, it actually became a little painful. So the advice I would give on uh, anybody new looking to do winter hiking, uh, just make sure your mittens, uh, you have plenty of room in them, but keep a pair of hand warmers open. Get them open before you get up top and you begin to take your uh, hand out of your, out of your mittens and use your phones. Yeah. Te- technically, I saved his life. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. You're a hero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And always have extra pairs of gloves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This time of year, you know, I'd say, especially if, if, you, if it's a new hiker, I would have to say hydration and uh, just learning how to uh, handle, you know, onboarding food beforehand and how they're going to handle that, especially if the hikes get really tough and they start doing some aggressive stuff. Mm. Now, Pastor Ken, um, you created the 11th essential the midnight phone call to your buddies. Could you tell us about that? <laughs> so uh, I was doing an overnighter with Dave and, and we were on rock ledges and he was literally like six feet away from me. And um, I got up to use the facilities, got back in my bag and I felt a bump and it was my phone. So I immediately thought, well, I'm just going to give him a call. And I never laughed so hard when I could hear it ringing in my hand and ringing it six feet away inside of a sleeping bag. And, uh, so from that time on, both Dave and Ian silenced their phones whenever they're with <laughs> I can never reach them. I'll leave them messages, but I can never actually reach them. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what's next here? So you guys have a PowerPoint demonstration. Can you tell us about that? Do you take this out on the road and like a, a what is it exactly? And how did that develop? Yeah, Dave, why don't you share that? Yeah, it's a, we call it hike of a lifetime. Yeah. Um, it's essentially made up of pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, of course, uh, talk a little bit uh, through that. But it's really about life. Uh, we've we've equated, and more, more so PK being a pastor and a lot of the uh, coaching that he does, mm-hmm. uh, he brings a lot to the table in terms of uh, self-improvement and just realizing um, about who you are and just your own journey. Uh, right. So we've put together a short presentation about... Uh, hiking and how it relates to life. Uh, and we've we've actually done it to a fair number of uh, Rotary Clubs, which is sort of how we cut our teeth with it. Uh, we've done it to a, a couple of other groups since then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, Ken, I wanted to go back to uh, a listener, Mike, who had sent in this sort of heartfelt note around uh, f- sort of being involved in hiking and then stepping away from it. He had mentioned that he got sucked into sort of the online community of politics. He didn't mention like, you know, what sort of details that involves, but I think that people do tend to, especially when COVID came through, like people tended to sort of find these dark places where they would get obsessed around, you know, the state of the country, the state of the world and sort of obsessing about it. And they would get away from things that I think are more healthy and allow for sort of better mental health. And we always joke about like, oh, you got to go out and touch grass. But I think there is some truth in that. And I wonder, do you have any words for people that are sort of caught in that trap of just being in this sort of doom scrolling internet world and how to get them away from that and back into getting in touch with nature and, and, and getting out there, even if it's not hiking, if it's some other activity? 
You know, one of the things I learned in my coaching career, because um, I'm also a licensed life coach, is um, we have inside of us what's called a sympathetic system, um, which is basically we put the foot on the gas and it makes us go. And uh, whether that's looking at, you know, Facebook too much or the news too much or anything too much, working too much, the parasympathetic system is the opposite. It puts the foot on the brakes and gets us to slow down. And so a lot of neurologists say that what triggers the parasympathetic system is like getting around animals like little kittens and things like that, uh, or getting around babies or especially getting out in creation. Um, and just being, you know, in the woods, it doesn't mean you have to do strenuous hikes. You don't have to hike to presidentials. You can flat hike. You can do hikes in any of our state parks. Um, and it's, and it's rewarding getting around water, um, whether it's the ocean or lakes or rivers, all of those things are very, um, they're calming and they just slow you away from the craziness of the you know, the rat race that, that everybody's in. We as Americans, I've traveled a little bit around the world and we, are, we as Americans are, are hyper on a, a you know, our, our, our hamster wheels are spinning 10 times faster than anybody else in the world. And so to get off of that is, is necessary. So for this gentleman that, I don't know if he hiked before or if he's thinking about hiking or revisiting hiking, but I would definitely give him a thumbs up and say, yeah, get out there. It doesn't have to be anything strenuous. Get out in the woods um, and just enjoy creation. Yeah. And I think that one of the, one of the blockers for people and this is why we, you know, we like the hiking buddies and groups like Alzheimer's and these, these group hike activities, cause it does allow you to connect. You've obviously found your, your tribe or your crew of people, but I think that's a blocker for some people that they want to get out there, but they don't have anybody to do it with them. Nobody in their, their current circle is interested in doing that type of activity. And, you know, it, it's hard to sort of build that sense of community. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts or stories, Dave or Ian, about how you were able to, you know, stay involved with different groups that uh, that opened up the opportunity for you to find your group of people that you go hiking with. Yeah, my group, again, kind of just came through Facebook and I went to Ken's church as a child. So I've just known him my whole life. Um, so that was kind of the easy button for me. I will say that if it wasn't for them, I don't know if, and seeing those posts and having that, I'm more definitely more of an introverted person. And I don't think I would just go on a hiking buddies meetup and go meet a bunch of strangers at a trailhead. So definitely kudos to those people. And I'm not sure how you get to those more introverted people that wouldn't go and step out into that group. You know what I could say? If there's anybody out there, any of your listeners that want to start hiking, um, I will rent out one of the goons, uh, <laughs> For ten bucks a hike, so if you're if you're moderate, uh, uh, Ian's your, your. If you want to do the prezies and run up them, Dave is your guy. If you're geriatric, Keith is the is the guy for you, and um, <laughs> we'll rent them out ten bucks a hike. Yeah. Do you have a like off the top of your head? Do you have a, the company name that you're gonna you're gonna create to do this? Oof, I would have That's to gleam one. some wisdom from these guys with that, I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess it's Rent-A-Goon. Rent-A-Goon. <laughs> I like, there you go. That's got a gold star to it right there. Oh Rent-a-goon. my gosh, you guys could compete with the, hi- we could basically say like, you can either go to the Hiking Buddies or you can go to the Rent-A-Goons. <laughs> yeah, and there's, and there's uh, my next story for the next book if I ever write one. Right. Yeah, right. Um, and then, you know, you've got some expertise in this area, Ken. So we had Martin Pisani on a couple of times to talk about how um, hiking is sort of the the uh, secret elixir, the fountain of youth keeps you young. And, you know, you're 
you're the most senior member of the crew over there. Can you talk a little bit about whether that's true or not? Um, well, Keith, Keith has got about 10 years on me. Yep. So um, I've got about 10 years on Dave and Dave's got 10 years on 20, 20, 20 years on Ian. Ian's the whippersnapper. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, just not being overwhelmed by the stories of the big peaks um, or the rugged peaks. There's so many trails and so many different hikes that, that can be geared to anybody's conditioning. Um, and so that's a secret is like, you know, there's, there's a lot of sites online. There's a lot of sites on Facebook you can go to and, um, and ask questions like, and so many people do like, what would be a very simple hike to start hiking on? And most of the hiking community is very respectful. There might be some people out there that take some pot shots or try to make fun of things like that. But most people are very respectful and, you know, they'll let you know, you know, like, uh, Mount Willard is a great one to start off with or something like that. And, um, get you going. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, I, I wanted to talk to you about Mount, your choice of Mount Willard for that uh, Columbus Day weekend. Why? Columbus Why? Day weekend. Wasn't it Columbus yeah. Day? Wasn't it the foliage? It was. It's yeah. a chapter in the book. Oh, the overnighter? The overnighter. Yeah, yeah but I, Willard with the tent, the throngs of people, like why? Oh, word. So that was supposed to be, uh, actually, I think that was supposed to be one of the pond hikes that we were going to, because I had, um, I had strained my Achilles tendon. And so my, my right ankle was in some pain for mm. a couple of weeks. I really, and actually the hiker babes did that to me. They're a brutal crew. Gonna, <laughs> so, so, um, so we're all on our way up to do like a flat hike to do an overnighter. And, um, and all of a sudden these guys started talking about Willard and I think we were driving by it. It was going to save some time from wherever we were going. So the next thing I know we're off, off on Willard and oh my goodness, that was like, that was like climbing the U United Nations uh, meeting of <laughs> every nationality yeah, was yeah. coming down off of that trail. Yeah. Um, back to back. Like unbelievable. It's crazy. I've never seen like, <laughs> I kept a really good attitude because the traffic was bad that weekend um these guys were getting a little hot under the collar but i was <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean Who's to hijack the... that conversation mike but it was just a good segue no. to that story yeah that's yep. what, i'm curious who's the designated driver when you guys are heading north uh, we, no, all, can. we all take turns. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we, we drove past this place into waterville valley if you want to know and i was driving um <laughs> He had his GPS on in the center of Concord and then turns it off when we get off the exit to make the final <laughs> descent into this place. Oh, That's boy. because I wanted to stop at Duncan's. Um. Hey, I got another random question for you guys. I have been pounding the drum talking about how New Hampshire does not, like they, they don't take advantage for the marketing capabilities of the probably one of the most impressive features of New Hampshire, which is the hooks at toll, the hooks at rest areas. And do you guys ever spend any time down there at all? No. The common no. man rest areas, well, the liquor store, anything stopped. like that, or is it too close to you? <laughs> we you usually meet up in Concord, so we're already past that at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's too bad. I would say all three of us take turns driving, though, to get back to your question. Um, yep. All four of us sometimes. Well, no, Keith never drives, does he? Yeah, occasionally. occasionally. He's driven a couple yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, yeah. Dave, um, Dave can drive, and he can... 
he can do 85 with a cup of coffee in one hand, a phone in the other hand, and steering the steering wheel with his knees. It's an amazing thing. It is an amazing well, thing. Well, Dave, I, I just will let you know that when I drive up, I'm very concerned about people getting in trouble with law enforcement. So I'm constantly driving at like 50 miles an hour in the left lane just to make sure that no one gets in trouble. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah. PK story grows a little bit. Um, yeah. A little bit. Excellent. Um, and then Dave, you had said that you had some, did you have an update on the, the reach the beach story that I had talked about last week about Tamworth shutting it down? Yeah, I don't have an update, but I, f- I found it interesting. I read that article. I believe it was in the Conway Daily Sun. Uh, yep. And, you know, having run the reach the beach and sort of seen how it has grown over the years, it didn't surprise me that they were beginning to run into some issues. Uh, it certainly is getting crowded. Um, there's a lot of vans that support the runners now. Uh, but sort of the take I was uh, looking at it from is that's a that's a detrimental hit to lose Tamworth because uh, it really cuts off that entire side of the state if they're headed down to Hampton. Right. Um, really interesting. And I, I was wondering uh, from your perspective uh, what you see as, as an alternative. And, and it sort of relates to hiking in that a lot of hikers are runners. Um, and, you know, there's cer- certainly a crossover in uh, the two two areas. Yeah, I don't know if there's any other alternative because you've got to go down. You essentially are forced to go down Route 16. And then I still think that you have to go through Tamward. So I don't know if there's a way for you to cut past Chikora somehow and go into trails, but that would be a long leg yeah. to uh, to cut behind Chikora and go through. So I don't really know what the alternatives are. They can go west of Tamworth into... There's these dirt roads in these towns west of Tamworth that I'm not even familiar with, but you could certainly do it that way. Um, but it's going to add some distance. So I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like my 10 years or so of doing Reach the Beach, like I haven't really seen a big change in the number of the size of the event, but I think maybe they just changed the timing a little bit so that you're you go into Tamworth at night. I don't really know. I think ultimately a, a selectman got upset about like getting stuck in traffic and there's only three selectmen in town. So it's three votes. Yeah. It's two votes. So yeah. it's, it's tough to, uh, to win. So I, I'll keep an eye on it and update the listeners on what's going on with reach the beach, but it's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, the proceeds you, or still do, I'm not hundred percent sure, uh, benefit the state parks here in New Hampshire. So hopefully yeah. it continues. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, Ken. So what's the name of the third book again? Can you give us a plug and tell us how we can buy that? Um, they said, teach us more. Um, it's kind of funny. So the books are available at the Mountain Wanderer bookstore, at the Boncliffe uh, bookstore up in Littleton. And uh, just recently, REI and Concord uh, has picked up my books. Uh, at least the first one. The guy didn't even know that I'd written three. And also on Amazon. Nice. Okay. That's super and cool. preferable for us to buy paper copies, but if we have to, we can buy Amazon. Yeah, well, you can get the paper copies off of Amazon. You can get also Kindle uh, Kindle books, electric books. Yep. Got it. Yeah, that's how I get it. I get it on Kindle because I'm lazy. Yeah, <laughs> it works. <laughs> and impatient as well. Uh, Stop. what else? Anything else we got for the guys? Well, yeah, let's just wrap up with a little um, chat about Hiker Babes. Tell us about that organization. It, it, I looked into it after you wrote about it. It was just, wow, this, this is really cool. 
Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't even know how I met Katie. Um, she is a she's a hot ticket. Well, actually, she camps. She's she's from Massachusetts, um, and she camps in Raymond. Um, her and her husband have a camp in Raymond. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's up for the summers, and you know she's connected with this organization, and they do tons and tons of hiking. And um, she got my book. Um, friend requested me, so we became friends on Facebook. And she was always pushing my books, like mm-hmm. to everybody and anybody. She was like the greatest salesman out there, saleswoman. Um, and so, you know, I started seeing all these hiker babe posts, hiker babes this and hiker babes that. And so I just reached out to her and I was, you know, looking for more material for this third book. And I says, hey, how about, you know, we do a hike? Well, oh my goodness, they just, they were crazy about that idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was about five of them that wanted to go and couldn't because they were working that day. And so we just... Um, we just got together and uh, there was 10 of them and uh, we did Monadnock um, mm. and it was, it was interesting. But it's a, it's a national organization, isn't that right? It is. Yeah. It's so what's, what's their mission in particular? I have no idea. I mean, I think it's just for women who um, are trying to get into hiking and mm-hmm. may not know anybody kind of like what Ian was saying, like a, a meetup group yeah. that they could, uh, they can meet up with a, a group of gals that they can feel safe with yeah. uh, on the trails and, uh, and then do some hikes with them. And, gotcha. you know, if there's chemistry there, then there's, there's, there's gotta be like 15 of them, I would say that are pretty tight. Uh, here in New Hampshire, like they, they're always hiking together. Sure. Um, and then there's always gals that are coming in and out of that mix, sure. you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. We'll provide the link to that because it's a really nice, well done website and it gives you links to all the events. And I think it's a nice resource for female hikers. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, let me ask you how you feel about this. Uh, you guys, we've met and Dave and I uh, have met a lot of like young single girls out there solo hiking. Mm-hmm. We were doing Shelbourne Mariah and we met a gal that was um, doing the Appalachian Trail and she was probably late 20s, early 30s. She was a extremely beautiful girl uh, all by herself doing the Appalachian Trail. And, you know, right off the bat, like Dave was, Dave's law enforcement. So right off the bat, like his first question was like, you know, do you feel safe? Um, and obviously they do, but I just don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's wise. What do you guys think about that? I mean, we I cover stories it, all the time. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I think, so my daughter's sort of at that age where she's starting to do a lot of, you know, she does a lot of hiking. She's 21 now and she's done some solo stuff. And I, I'm of two minds of it. One is I'm obviously concerned about safety. But number two is I also want her to feel empowered. And I feel like we've worked a lot over the years to sort of educate and get her to the level where she's comfortable going out solo. And she should be proud of it just like any, any guy would be proud of going out and hiking solo, but I also like the reality is, is that you do have to fear for safety. Mm. Mm. Yeah, of course. I've come across a lot of younger hikers, uh, female hikers that have that almost like nothing's going to happen to me type of attitude. And I just know that that's not accurate. Mm. Like this air of invincibility in this younger generation sometimes that I've come across. Yeah. That's, that's off for sure. Yeah. It's not yeah. realistic. Yeah. And I don't mean, you know, when I say it's, it's not safe, I don't mean necessarily because of, you know, a sexual attack or a physical attack, but just also injury um, or inclement weather that, you know, they're facing alone. Um, you know, that's the, the articles that I did on solo hiking. Whenever I solo hike, I try to make sure that it's in a safe place where there's going to be other hikers. And like, like I said, not out on some remote thing where nobody's going to, you know, find me or, or anything like that. So, 
Yeah, I guess I can see both sides of it. It, it is important that you want people to feel empowered that they can do anything they set their minds to. Um, but right, yeah, yeah. I actually had a weird situation happen, like on my local trails, like a week or two ago, where there was a lady hiking. She had two dogs, and she was like hiking toward. I was running up a hill, and then there's a trail split where you can go straight or you can go right. And I usually go right because there's a longer loop that I run and she was coming towards me and then she turned around and I think she was concerned about the dogs, but maybe not. Maybe she was just concerned about me because she's like, why is this crazy man running up a hill like this? But she she went back up the trail and kind of ran a, ran towards the trail and then took a right up up where I normally go. And I could see she was like standing there with her dogs like maybe 20 feet up that trail. And like, obviously she was waiting for me to go by. So normally I would have taken that right and ran towards her, but I was kind of like, eh, she seems a little freaked out. So I just went straight and I, I ended up having to like do some more mileage, but I was kind of just like, well, I, I just want to, I don't want to make her nervous. So yeah. I guess anything we can do out there to, I don't know. I sort of was double. I was, I was questioning myself to be like, well, I really, I had a destination and I normally go that way. And I changed my route just because I was freaked out that she might be freaked out. So. Yeah. I I, I mean, and I used to be scared of dogs and bear and moose and coyote, but now I guess I have to add uh, cows to that list. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So anything else stop that we got to cover with the crew here? I think we're good. So we'll, we'll post uh, all the information where people can get a hold of you guys and the books. And um, you guys have any other comments or things you want to mention before we move on to the search and rescue? You you had mentioned something about Karen's. Is that me you wanted to talk about Karen's? Yes. Um, you had talked about Karen's early in the book. And um, again, it was one of those things I was like, well, do we want to cover that or let the listeners I'll, I'll let you discuss it if you would like, but I thought it was very funny. Yeah, so I, I made a comment in there about, um, you know, a lot of times you go to the beach or you go by a river and these people make uh, these stacks, right? And they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're like really nice. Sometimes they're balanced and everything like that. Um, but it's probably not a wise idea to do that above tree line um, because Karens are like the only markers that are visible in the wintertime above tree line. And, it, you know, if people mess with those, um, it can have serious consequences to hikers that are depending on those for, you know, for guidance, especially like, you know, above tree line, the bit like Franconia Ridge or the presidentials, maybe Musilock. Yeah. Um, so I think I had said something about like, you know, if, if you play around with those rock stacks in the, in the presence of a winter hiker, that might lead to like a good butt kicking. <laughs> right. Yeah. As you lead somebody off a tall cliff. Two, yeah. 200 foot cliff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's fine. You know, if you're by a river, if you're out there by the beach or whatever, you know, have fun, build, build those things, but not, not up on the mountains. Yeah. And you also touch upon sacred monorails, but uh, we'll let the <laughs> listeners get the book to read that one. It's just beautiful. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> and, and do you have, Ken, do you guys hike outside of like, I'm actually doing like a big plan with my friend Tom. We're going out to Yosemite in September. Do you, are you at the point now where you, you're thinking about like going outside of New England and doing some big adventure? So the only time I had an opportunity to do that was a couple of years ago. I went to go visit my son out in Tahoe and um, mm-hmm. I climbed, uh, I hiked a 9,500 footer out there, um, the basin and then a ridge walk over to the castle peaks. And, um, I had a hard time breathing, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I got small lung syndrome. As, 
I feel like that's just an invented as well as, thing. As well as altitude sickness. Um, but Dave, Dave's actually getting ready to do like a 14,000 footer, right, Dave? Yeah. Recently, my son, or actually a couple of years ago, he moved to Denver. Um, and just last week, I went there um, for a for a visit and I scoped out a couple of uh, 14,000 footers. But one specifically is Long's Peak uh, right out of Estes Park. So that's on my okay. list. Well, that'll be an adventure. Yeah, looking forward to it. Do you have any concern about altitude um, sickness? So I, I do a little bit. Um, I, going out there to visit him, I haven't had any, uh, haven't felt the effects. I've done some small hikes, uh, Overlook Mountain, and just some ones just outside of Denver, and I haven't felt any any negative effects of it. But I'll certainly be careful and uh, make sure that I get acclimated while I'm, before going out. I Stopping just to do the recon on the uh, peak, they're really serious out there. Um, Long's Peak Trailhead has a uh, ranger right at the... Uh, the base of it. Uh, they certainly do their due diligence to make sure that folks are well prepared. Uh, and they actually suggested that on the, the female ranger that I spoke with, uh, not to really attempt it before July 4th because they're still covered in snow. I mean, they've had a very heavy snowpack this year, but mm-hmm. uh, on a normal uh, year, they still have snow in, in well into July. And, and he's usually lightheaded all the time. So it's yeah. probably... <laughs> Oh, great. And do you need a permit or you just have to pass the, the ranger at the at the trailhead? I do. I think if you're going to uh, camp or overnight out there, you have to check in and get a permit. I'm not sure what that process is, but um, normally just to hike it, it's just to check in and go. You can tell them like, look, I've done all the 52 with the views, sir. I'm, I'm prepared. I floated Ken's name a couple times already. That, oh, you that, did? That, right. that would be well, my key. You hey, do you yeah. know Ken Bossy? I know him pretty well. <laughs> That's the move there. All right. So, Stomp, anything else before we move on to search and rescue news? No, we're good. Thank you, guys. That was really great. So, feel free to contribute to the uh, the stories that we have lined up here. There's a couple. We have four. They're really interesting. So this is the revisit of the Connecticut hiker that we've been talking about, right, Stomp? Yes. She's a Connecticut hiker who is, um, she was reported missing on April 10th after hiking on Japan's Kumano Kodo Trail. So this is Patty Wu Murad, 60 years old, was reported missing on April 10th when she failed to arrive at her guest house hostel and they executed a search and now they're getting on the two-month mark with no sign of her, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah the family's calling off the search at this point. I mean, they yeah. had done a massive GoFundMe campaign and received hundreds of thousands of dollars after the official search had stopped. Uh, they continued on, but there's just no sign of this person. Um, sad story. Yeah, they hired a private investigator to help out. They've got uh, the FBI involved working with the Japanese police to get cell phone data in the hopes that they can provide important information. And apparently uh, she is an experienced hiker who had done treks all over the world. But um, I think something must have went terribly wrong in this one and she hasn't been located. Mm. So that's going to be a sad, sad feeling for the family to have to call that search off. Uh, all right. Up next here, Stomp, is an article that you pulled. A hiker falls 300 feet from the top of a waterfall in Colorado. Seriously amazing. injured hiker. Not, not only that, after the 300-foot fall, he falls into a river below and is swept several hundred feet downstream and survives. 
Holy smokes. It's like Aragorn, Lord of the Rings moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 300 foot fall. Can you imagine like that's, that's so tall that that's enough time for you to think about sort of like your, your life decisions at that point. Man. Yeah. Crazy. So 300. So the, the search and rescue team had to carry him, get him back upstream and then actually uphaul him back up the 300 foot drop. That was the only way out to extract this person. Man. That's yeah. a monumental rescue there. Holy moly. Yeah. My favorite part of the story, though, Stomp, is that at the very end, um, they closed the article out. According to All Trails, Judge Fall Trail is a 2.2-mile hike with 462 feet of gain. It's rated as easy and as family-friendly. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> you, know, you, know what I, you know what I just, I just, I would love to know, though, did he get the selfie? Yeah. I don't know. Was he doing, oh, was that the, yeah, was that the cause of it? I don't know. Oh, boy. Crazy. So, okay. Um, all right, Stomp. So this cool. next one here, we can talk about this one a little bit here, I think. So this is this is one of the early season rescues off of Franconia Ridge that we've seen happen time and time again. So um, on Saturday, June 3rd at approximately 9.30 p.m., the Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of two hikers in distress. One hiker in the party was showing symptoms of mild hypothermia, didn't think that they were going to continue walking. Uh, 29-year-old gentleman and his wife, 26-year-old from Franklin, New Hampshire, had started hiking Falling Waters around 1 p.m. And then by uh, 7.30, they had made the summit of Little Haystack. So you're talking six and a half hours to get up to Little Haystack. Um, And they decided to continue on to Liberty Springs tent site about two miles across Franconia Ridge. So that, that's a tricky trek. So approximately a quarter mile past the summit of Little Haystack. So I'm thinking they hadn't even climbed down that little like uh, chimney that you got to get down. Um, they started to feel the effects of being cold and wet as it had been raining off and on all day. They got so cold that they called 911. So this activated a, uh, a search and rescue from conservation officers and Pemi Valley search and rescue team. The team responded to Falling Waters Trailhead and began the hike, um, the three-mile hike up to their location. So the rescue party arrived at 1.20 a.m. So the call, hike starts at 1, call comes in at 9.30, the rescue teams get get up to them around 1.20. So it's about three, three hours or so, which is pretty good. Um, the hikers had been unable to, or had been able to make a fire and were equipped with a tent and sleeping bags, but unfortunately they were unable to keep warm and dry due to their clothing, um, the weather conditions, and their lack of experience. So sleeping bags were soaked from the day's rain. Both of them were wearing cotton, which retains water, keeping your body from being dry. And then um, the rescuers basically had to provide them with the correct clothes, food, water. And then once they warmed up, they were able to start hiking down. And then they made it down to the trailhead around six in the morning. So that's a long night. Yeah. <laughs> so is. a lot of things going on here. They got a late start. They've got um, gear that's not proper for the weather. You've got rain. You've got cold conditions, which is hypothermia. Um, oddly, they were able to start a fire, which is, seems very odd to me, but I'd like to know what the deal is there. But, um, you know, slower pace, I guess, with a late afternoon start. So, You guys have been in situations like this. What's your take? 
gear wise? Yeah. <clears throat> First thing that comes to mind is that uh, their experience level, uh, I'm assuming, is um, not up to par for that type of hike and that time of day. The time of day is critical. That's a late start, especially in uh, inclement weather. Mm. Um, if you're an experienced hiker and you know exactly where you're going to go, especially on an overnighter, uh, you could probably pull that off uh, knowing the weather and having the correct gear. Yeah. Uh, but without the experience and without having done something before, that that's late in the afternoon. Hmm. Yeah, especially like they must not have known what their pace would be because they probably assumed they were going to be up on Little Haystack a lot sooner. I, I always think when people are going to go hiking and they're going to a tent site that they're planning on getting to the tent site with light still still there and clearly they didn't they didn't know what their pace was going to be yeah definitely yeah if that was me and i had a fire going i guarantee you not only would i be dry but everything within 40 feet would be dry <laughs> i mean i would have had a fire going. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is interesting because it's been rainy and wet like i wonder how they were able to start a fire yeah i'm so impressed because that would be I feel like even with the experience that I have, like I have like a waterproof matches and a lighter, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if I would be able to start a fire in wet conditions in the whites. It's very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, One other interesting tidbit on this is I did pick up that um, the trail steward, trailhead stewards were positioned at Fring, at falling waters on the day that this happened, but it's Mm -hmm. unclear whether or not they, they got, got these folks or not or whether they talk to them i don't know but i i found that interesting too is that it is possible they may have even run into some trails trailhead stewards and talk to them so hmm. what time do the tra- trail stewards cut out at that's a good question i was just thinking that i don't know i feel like late afternoon i would think like by like two three o'clock they must figure like most people that are going to go hiking have gone i would so, think so not sure and then um this last story, this is a sad story, and um, you know, this is a this is a, a, a hiker that had um, been very involved in the community. I did not know him, but a very well known hiker. Um, so, 12 p.m. on Sunday, June 4th, the Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of a hiker who was having a medical issue on the, the Little East Pond Trail in Livermore. 59-year-old hiker had departed from the trailhead at 11 a.m. with a hiking partner. Their intent was to hike to Little East Pond. Unfortunately, around 11.45, the hiker collapsed on the trail. His partner called 911 and began life-saving measures. Um, a backcountry forest manager with the U.S. Forest Service came upon the scene in about 40 minutes and assisted in administering life-saving measures. Conservation officers, Linwood Ambulance, Woodstock Fire Department, Waterville Public Safety, PEMI Search and Rescue all responded to assist. And unfortunately, the hiker succumbed to his medical issue and was not able to be revived. So, um, Donald Frenette, um, you're one of our, you know, one of our fellow hikers. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he passed away. He was about a mile and a half from the trailhead. And, you know, there's not a lot of details on what happened, but there was a medical incident. So, um, sad story. I've definitely seen the name around and, and I know that he participated and gave some advice on different social media groups and things like that. So sad to hear. Mm. Yeah, definitely sad. Um, I got a question for you guys. Um, most, you know, yeah. a lot of times on trailheads, they have these big signs. I don't know who puts them up. I don't know if it's park services or the Appalachian mountain club or, but they have these big maps that they put up of all the trails in that area. 
Um, has anyone ever thought about putting like estimated times on those trails? Because a lot of times people come from out of state and they don't realize how big those mountains are and how long it's going to take to do one of those hikes. So then when somebody does show up at one in the afternoon or two in the afternoon and they read this, oh, let's go up this trail, but the estimated time is, you know, six hours round trip or five hours or whatever, if that might be a deterrent for some people that aren't prepared. Yeah, I think that there's probably, I feel like I've seen some warnings on kiosks in the past where they will talk about start time. Um, but I think the data that I've pulled when it comes to search and rescue, I think, you know, having information on the kiosk around warning people about late starts, I think encouraging people to have um, a splint with them, 10 essentials, I think headlamp reminders, I've seen those on kiosks before. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that they can always do a better job because a lot of those kiosks, like you you look at them and it's like a a map that you can barely read in a bunch of white space. So Mm. they could probably do a better job there. I think it's Ripley and maybe Arethusa. They actually have it on the sign right to the parking lot, the estimated hike time on those ones. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe it's just inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, That'd be an interesting job for like if they were going to hire a summer intern to just focus on signage and consistency and signage. I I don't know. I think I'd do that. If anybody's listening from Fish and Game, like hire an intern. That would be a great project. Yeah, I think the best resource is really the Steve Smith AMC book. That's pretty much everything you need to know. Mm. And that is the one thing that is always referred to and stressed. If you're going to go hiking, get the book and read it. Stop. Unfortunately, I think the apps have taken over the book. You know, most of the people you see out there, they have the, they're using all trails. Mm -hmm. They're using Gaia. Yeah. And I, I think that's created a little bit more following than the book used to, because the book used to be the Bible. It used to be the thing that everybody went to. Is there an online edition? Good question. There used to be an online edition for the AMC, and then I don't believe that they have one anymore. Um, I feel like I read an explanation on why they pulled it previously, but I can't remember why. So maybe that's something that they want to think about in the future. Definitely. Hmm. I do love my guy app, though. I, I buy the book, but I do love my guy app. <laughs> guy app's great. Yeah. Um, and I think when you, the more you've hiked, the more you can estimate your your pace a lot better, but it is important for newer hikers to consider. Very good. All right, Stomp, we survived this crew, geez. Yeah. I thought it was going to be tough to manage like uh, everybody talking, but I think we flowed nicely. Yeah, we sure did. Thanks again, guys, for coming out. Uh, and I know it was a long drive, but uh, I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, you guys should extend an invitation to the hiker babes. Get them on the show. I think we yeah. will for sure. Yeah, we're gonna have to do that. Yeah, and um, we will also. We didn't get to talk about White Mountain approved, but um, these guys have a YouTube website where they do gear reviews and things. So check that out on YouTube. And um, we'll have all these show notes uh, available for everybody. But I do have to just um, give one last message here for Mount Washington Observatory's yearly fundraiser, Seek the Peak. Uh, it returns this summer with the classic Mount Washington Hikeathon. This annual gathering of New Hampshire's hiking community is a nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory's largest annual fundraiser. Hikers raise funds, earn gear, and celebrate at our Apre Hike party on Saturday, July 15th, which is coming up pretty soon. 
So they have live music, food trucks, gear raffles, beer garden vendors, and people who care deeply about the trails and an inclusive hiking community. All takes place at the base of the Mount Washington Auto Road. So our hike and make friends option supports all ability levels, pairing hikers with similar goals for a trek that's right for you. All hikers are welcome to help raise funds for the Observatory Summit Weather Station and services like the twice-a-day Higher Summits forecast, educational programs, and research in the White Mountains. Seek the Peak is sponsored by the Great Glen Trails and Eastern Mountain Sports. So learn more and register to hike at seekthepeak.org. And it's a wrap. All right. We'll see you Saturday at Reckless. All right. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words that describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably